Good morning, and happy 4th of July. Congratulations on living in America. We are so thankful. We're so blessed. I know I can be a little melodramatic sometimes, but I've visited some foreign countries that when I got off the airplane, I'd kiss the runway. And uh, it's great to be an American. Well, this is the last week of my secret life, and I want to ask you the question I've been dancing around for four weeks, and it's this. Are you leading a secret life? Am I leading a secret life? Um, let's just do an exercise to help us see if we might be. I'm going to give you a sentence with blanks in it, and you don't, obviously you don't need to respond to me, or even to the person sitting next to you. I just want you to respond to yourself and to your own heart and to God. Here's the sentence. People think I'm blank, but in reality, I'm blank. Sounds like an old game show, doesn't it? <laughs> People think I'm blank, but in reality, I'm blank. Um, if I ask you, are you leading a secret life? Or if you were to ask me, I- I'm going to guess that about, hmm, let's say 100% of us <laughs> would say yes to that question if we were honest. Um, for me, and I've never been, I've never withheld anything from you on this. Uh, my lifelong struggle has been anger. And it's just my personality. I've got a high-paced, high-geared personality. I, the way I say it, there are no pastels in my personality. And as Shakespeare said, I don't suffer fools gladly. Um, it's just who I am. But I'm also very good at controlling it. And so I could put the words like this in the sentence. People think I'm happy, but in reality, I'm angry. Anybody, do I have any soul brothers or soul sisters who could say there have been at least seasons or times in my life when I led a secret life and people thought I was happy, but in reality, I was angry. I kept smiling, kept functioning, and maybe those closest to me couldn't know exactly what was going on. They just knew something was a little off with Mark. People think I'm happy, but in reality, I'm angry. Or yours might go something like this. People think I have it all together, but in reality, I'm a train wreck. Or people think I'm confident, but in reality, I'm insecure. People think I'm current and up-to-date with my bills, but in reality, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. People think I'm the, and I'll use an old expression, I'm the life of the party, but in reality, I'm very lonely. People think I'm their friend, but in reality, I'm very selfish. Or people think I'm faithful to my spouse, but in reality, I'm unfaithful. Just for you and me today, do you have a secret life? Are you leading a secret life? People think I'm this, but in reality, I'm this. Well, let me ask another question, because I want to ask you, why do we lead secret lives? See, I don't think any of us enjoy it. I don't think we get up in the morning and think, wow, I've got some secrets that could blow up and just destroy my life. (laughs) I mean, I don't think we're excited about having a secret life. So why do we do it? Let me throw three answers at you, and I don't know that I know all the answers here, probably not, but here are three that I think of. When I look at why I have my life not matching up to what people think I am, it's, it's probably going to be one of these three things. 
If you want to go back to a message I brought called Double Agent, in using that language, I would say sometimes we lead a secret life because we haven't decided which government we work for yet. You know, that's what happens with a double agent, or as the Bible calls this person, a double-minded man or woman. Because there is one set of values that calls out to us, but on the other hand, there's a totally opposite set of values that call out to us, and we find some comfort with both sets of values, so for a while we operate over here, but then we move over here and operate over here, and so we're not fully resolved as to which government we work for, and because of that, you can't be both publicly, you have to be one publicly and one secret. For instance, let's just talk about the obvious one. We, we talked in, 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 the, in the message on being a double agent, we talked about how that God has His will for us in our lives and certain things that God instructs us to do. But on the other hand, the Bible talks about the world. And here it's not talking about the planet, it's talking about the system, the prevailing systems that we live in in this world. And remember, there were three aspects to the world. There was the lust of the eyes, which means I want what I see, the lust of the flesh that says I want what makes me feel good, and the pride of life, which says I want to be worshipped. Now, you have that in you, and I have that in me. I want what I see, I want what makes me feel good, and I want to be worshipped. And certainly, there are some legitimate ways in which the first two are all right. I want what I see. There are times when that's reasonable. There's time I want what makes me feel good. There are times that that's reasonable. But you and I also know that if we govern our lives by I want what I see, we're going to be in so much debt we're never going to get out. If we go by I want what makes me feel good, we're going to have our life in shambles. And if we decide we want to be worshipped, we're going to have all kinds of problems and we're going to have God after us at the same time. So all I'm saying is, there are sometimes situations in which I want to follow God, but I also have these things that are pulling after me. One of them is going to be public. One of them is going to be private. Or it could be that someone here, you haven't decided who you're really in love with. You have a wife or a husband, and there's a part of you that knows that you should be faithful in every way to him or to her. But on the other hand, Someone is flirting with you, or you're flirting with someone, and the interaction, the interplay between you and that person is kind of exhilarating. So on one hand, you've got the desire to be faithful to your husband or wife, but on the other hand, you've got this other thing going on, and you're like caught between two worlds. One of them's going to be public, one of them's going to be private. So I think the first reason we lead secret lives is we're not fully, we're not fully set on which government we're working for. The second thing is, sometimes we lead secret lives in order to buy time. In other words, we've got something going on in our lives that isn't right, it isn't healthy, it isn't good, but we're saying to ourselves, I've got control of this. I'm going to just keep the ball in the air, I'm just going to keep things working until I can fix it, and I'll fix it before it ever comes out, before my secret life ever comes out and hurts me. I remember talking to a man one time who had stolen a lot of money from the company that he worked for. He stole an amount of money he could never pay back. And when I asked him why he did such a thing, knowing surely that he was going to be found out, here's what he said to me. When I started, I said to myself, I will be able to put it back before I get discovered. I think, even though many of us would never contemplate doing such a thing, there's still a little aspect of that in us that says, I've got control of this. I, I, you know, I'm managing all this. I'm keeping all the balls in the air, and I'm going to resolve it before it ever comes back to bite me. We lead secret lives to buy time. Maybe the most compelling reason why we lead secret lives is that we've done something in the past that we can't change. How many of you have discovered that facts or the past are stubborn things? 
We have something in our past that we would, even today, when you think about it, it just creates intense guilt in you. And you would give every penny you own if you could turn back the clock and undo that thing, but you can't. And because you can't undo it, you don't know what to do with it. And so you get out an emotional shovel and you dig a hole and you bury that thing in the hopes that it will never be known and you lead a secret life and try to keep that hole from a place or from people that will never discover it. Well, today I want to talk with you about what to do with the secret life. And this is not really a sermon. I sort of feel like I'm sitting in your living room or you're sitting in my living room and we're talking with each other, flawed people that we are, 100% of us having some kind of secret life, and we're going to talk with each other about what to do and why you should resolve your secret life, or actually why you should come in from the cold. In the 21st century, we don't use that expression very much, but in the at least middle 20th century, coming in from the cold was a fairly used expression. What it, what it was used for is if someone was isolated, or perhaps someone was in an environment that wasn't friendly, when that person came back home, they would be coming in from the cold. For instance, if there was a traveling salesperson who was in a territory a long way away from home, and that person felt alone and isolated, let's just say that person got promoted and transferred back to the home office with friends and family close by, it could be said that that man, that woman came in from the cold. But the most common usage was during the Cold War. There was a novel that became a famous movie. It was called The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. It's the idea of a person living in a foreign environment with the fear of being discovered all the time, coming home and reassuming his or her identity, his or her true identity. In fact, here's what the dictionary says about coming in from the cold. It says it means to return to shelter and safety, to be welcomed into a group. For you and me, those of us who are leading a secret life, that's what we need today. We need to return to shelter and safety, to return to that place where once again it's okay to be who we are, where we're not living in fear that somebody's going to dig up something that we buried or that someone is going to truly find out who we really are. I want to give you four, maybe five, depending upon time today, I want to give you four or five reasons why you and I should come in from the cold. You ready? Here's number one. Number one, God designs you to be you. God designs you to be honest. God designs you to be authentic. You are as individual as a snowflake. No two snowflakes are alike, and no two human beings are alike. The reason why that's significant is this. When we lead secret lives, it begins to change who we are. All of us know what it's like to have a deep secret that we're, dis- we're, we're afraid that someone is going to find out, especially something that we did in our past. Isn't it true that when that happens, we generally have to cut people loose from our herd who are close to that secret because we're terrified that there are people back in that environment who are going to find out what we did? And beyond that, if we have something that's wrong in our lives that's ongoing, isn't it true that we have to keep people at arm's length? We have to be very careful about letting anybody get very close to us. I'm talking to some of us today, and deep down inside, we probably don't have very many close friends. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. But in some of our situations, the reason why we don't have very close friends is we're terrified to let anybody really into our lives because if they came in, they would understand that we're leading a secret life, that we're not what people think we are. What I'm saying to all of us today is God designed you to be you. God has given you and me gift packages. He's given us talents. He has given us ability to change the world. 
God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But if I'm leading a secret life, I'm sabotaging that, and I'm not who I really am. God designed you to be you. God designed you to be authentic. He designed you to be honest. In the Bible, Scripture says in Psalm 51, what you are after, David talking to God, isn't that, that's a big statement, what you're after. You want to know what God is after with you and me? David says what you're after is truth from the inside out. Or in the translation that I memorized, David said, God, what you're after is truth in the inner parts. So many of us are concerned about the truth that people think about us. But David said, God, what you're after is you designed me to be honest, you designed me to be authentic, you designed me to be me. One thought that's going to keep reoccurring during this whole talk today, let's, just, let's think about the obvious for a moment. If I'm leading a secret life, I'm really flipping God off. Because what I'm saying is, God, I know you know who I really am, but you don't matter. It's the people in my life and what they think about me that really matters. I think this is one of the things that really torques God about us leading secret lives is he's watching everything that's going on. In the Bible, in Jeremiah 23, 24, the Bible says, can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord, don't I feel heaven and earth? So God is saying, hey, I see. I know what's going on. God wants you to be honest, authentic, and God wants you to be you. Let's go now to the second thing. Leading a secret life is the ultimate in self-deception. Doesn't that run contrary to what we think? When we lead secret lives, we think, oh, I'm deceiving other people. But in reality, what we're doing is we're bluffing ourselves out of the destiny that God has for us. I've been working on this series since January. In fact, it was the very first week of the year when I started thinking about my secret life and I sketched it out. There was one sentence that I remember writing that in my mind summed up the whole series and it very much summed up this particular talk. So after you hear it, please don't leave. But I want you to hear the rest of the message. But this is a very, very powerful sentence. And so I, if, you don't, if you don't get anything else today, please get this. And, and let me preface it and explain to you why, why I've got this sentence. Through the years, I've listened to so many people come and talk to me and tell me about how they've deceived other people as if they were in control. And sometimes they almost tell me in a braggadocious kind of way. For instance... I remember a young man, I say he was young to me, he's probably in his 40s actually, but I remember a man coming to talk to me about how he'd grown up, and he said he had grown up with, with Christian parents. But he said, you know, I, I was on drugs and alcohol, and I was using pornography all the time, and my parents didn't even know it. And I'm thinking, well, am I supposed to clap now? Is this my cue to be impressed? You know, my, my first instinct, and I was trying to be gracious and help, my first instincts are, you just told me that you're an abject liar with good parents. But what he was trying to say to me is, I'm in control. I'm a good deceiver. I'm a good liar. Aren't I cool? Because I deceived my parents. I've had people that say, you know, I was carrying on an affair for three years. My husband didn't know what was going on. Well, or I, 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 was, I was sleeping with another woman for five years, and my wife never, never even had a clue. Here's the thing I want us to understand. See, when we lead a secret life, we feel empowered because we feel like we are holding the secrets. You ready? Here's the sentence right here. We think we hold our secrets 
But the truth is, our secrets hold us. We think we're empowered because we've got secrets, but the fact of the matter is, it's the secrets that have the cuffs on us. If you've ever had a deep, dark secret that you were afraid was going to destroy your life, you know what it's like to be afraid to sleep and and afraid that somebody's going to discover your deep, dark secret. You're not holding that secret. That secret is holding you. And so we, we need to just take a look at what David said in Psalm 119, verse 29, when David said, keep me from lying to myself. One of the ways that we lie to ourselves is when we hold secrets to think that we're empowered. Let me take you to the third place today. Living a secret life is like paying a blackmailer. Thankfully, most of us will never have to deal with a blackmailer. But we've watched it in movies and in films, and we've read about it in books. A blackmailer is someone who knows someone's secret. And he says, if you don't give me what I want, I am going to tell your secret. I am going to expose you. But you know the problem with paying a blackmailer. Blackmailers keep demanding more and more money, and it just seems that the secret always comes out anyway, which is why it's never never a good thing to pay blackmailer. We saw this play out last year with Dave Letterman. If you remember the story, the news story, you remember that David had been unfaithful to his wife, and someone that he worked with knew about it, and I can't remember the specific figure, but it seems to me that this particular employee of David said, if you don't pay me $2 million, I'm going to tell everybody you slept with somebody who's not your wife. Now, David did a smart thing, not sleeping with somebody else. That wasn't smart. But at that moment, David did a very smart thing. David went to the authorities, and the man was arrested for blackmail, and many of us watched on Letterman that night as David walked out and told everybody what he had done, said he was sorry for it, and owned up to it. I'm sure he didn't want to do that. But here's what he decided. David decided it was better to pay the price for owning up to the truth than it was to pay a blackmailer. And when you and I lead a secret life, we need to remember that living in secret life is like paying a blackmailer. And folks, the truth is always going to come out anyway. Wouldn't it be better for us to deal with the truth in the right kind of way? Whether, it, it, whether it's going to a Christian health professional and sitting down with a Christian counselor or a Christian psychologist and saying, listen, I, I need to open up about this. Or, or if it's just talking to someone that you can trust and say, listen, as people have done with me, I have pastor friends who call me through the years and say, Mark, I just need to talk with somebody. It's so much better for us to just say, hey, I'm dealing with it. I'm not going to pay blackmail anymore. Because it's all going to come out anyway. And Jesus said so. He told the disciples in in Luke chapter 12 to not be like the Pharisees who were hypocrites. He said this in verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Don't pay a blackmailer. Here's the fourth thing. As I said a few moments ago, one of the mistakes that we made when we allow a secret life to go on is we're not realizing that God is watching everything that's happening. What we're saying is, God, what people think about me is more important than what you think about me. But could we just stop for a moment and realize something? Your future is not in your husband's hands. Your future is not in your wife's hands. Your destiny is not in your boss's hands. It's not in the hands of your friends. It's not in the hands of your enemies. Your future is in God's hands. And, and the important thing is to be real and authentic 
before him. Because see, here's the thing. If we are real and authentic before God, he will give us mercy. If, on the other hand, we continue to be somebody we're not, when God knows the truth, it isn't going to change anything. Would you just give me a few moments to give you an Old Testament story? It's kind of obscure. Many of us probably will be hearing it for the first time. But it's a cool story. It's one of my personal favorites. Just give me, let me, a little chance to give you a little background before I get into it. If you've ever tried to read and study the Bible, chances are you've gone to a, a section of the Bible where the Bible starts talking about all kinds of kings. In fact, there's a book called First Kings. There's a book called Second Kings. There's a book called First Chronicles and a book called Second Chronicles. And pretty much the entire span of those four books is all about different kings. If you've ever tried to read those books, you know that there are times when it looks like there are two kings on the throne at the same time, and you're scratching your head saying, wait a minute, I thought this guy was king, and now I'm reading about this guy. There's a reason for that. Israel, as you know, was God's people. There were 12 tribes. But after the death of Solomon, the kingdom split. Under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, there was a revolution. And there was the northern kingdom, which were 10 of the tribes, that became known as Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was two of the tribes, which became known as Judah. And even though they were all Jewish people, there was, there was a line of, of demarcation between those two countries. Israel went straight off into idolatry. And if you read about the kings of Israel, not a single one of them was good. Every single king Israel had was a bad king. On the other hand, Judah went back and forth. Sometimes Judah would have a very bad king. Sometimes Judah would have an extraordinarily good king. And what really is complicated is every once in a while, the king of Israel and the king of Judah would actually be related somehow. But at the snapshot that I'm going to tell you the story, Israel had the worst king they ever had. His name was Ahab. And if he wasn't bad enough, he married a woman who was worse than, than he was. And they instituted all kinds of awful stuff in Israel. In fact, they brought in the worst kind of idolatry, so much so that some of the people were actually sacrificing their children to idol gods. In fact, they would put them into a burning oven to appease the gods. And promiscuity, <laughs> they didn't just encourage promiscuity. Promiscuity actually became part of the worship in Israel. Ahab polluted Israel more than you can possibly imagine. But while he was on the throne in the northern kingdom, down in the southern kingdom, they had a very good king, one of the best. His name was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat loved God with all his heart, and he followed God. I don't think he was a particularly strong personality, but he was a very good man. Now, you're set up. There came a point when a foreign power, sometimes the Bible reports it as Syria, sometimes it's just called Aram, but there was a foreign power that became a threat to both Israel and Judah. So Ahab, the bad king of the north, goes to Jehoshaphat, the good king in the south, and he says, you know what, we're going to both be under the gun here. Neither one of us is strong enough on our own to take Aram. Why don't we join our forces together and let's do a preemptive strike. Before they attack us, we'll attack them. And Jehoshaphat said, being the man of God that he was, well, have you talked to God about this? And Ahab said, oh yeah, I'm all over that. I've talked to God, and God has said, it's your season, it's time to go. You should understand that Ahab had about 850 preachers on his payroll. Of course, they were the ones who were leading the promiscuous worship. And on, on top of that, they were all suck-ups who were on Ahab's payroll who aren't going to dare tell him anything he doesn't want to hear. So when Ahab says he has checked with God, what he really means he has checked with all of his payroll false preachers. Now, Jehoshaphat was born at night probably, but not, the last, not last night. And so he says to him, 
don't you have any like real man of God around here? And Ahab said, well, I've got one, but I hate him because he never has anything good to say about me. And Jehoshaphat said, well, I'd like to hear from him. And Ahab said, well, it's going to take a while because he's in jail. And so they bring Micaiah out. I don't have time to tell you the story. It's a great story. You ought to read it. It's even kind of funny. Micaiah kind of plays with him for a little while, but finally he gets down to business. And Micaiah said, you really want to know what God has to say about this thing? He looked at Ahab, the king of the north, the wicked king, and he said, this isn't going to end well for you. At the end of the day, you're going to be like D-E-A-D. You're going to be dead. And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, see what I said? I mean, he just never has anything good to say about me. And they slapped him around for a while and put Micaiah back in prison. And they took off. Now, as I said, Jehoshaphat was not the strongest personality, and I'm not sure he was the sharpest knife in the drawer. Now, because think for a moment, Ahab has just heard a message that said, God speaks on this thing, and God says I'm going to be dead. Ahab said, I got that covered. I figured it out. I know how to beat God. Read this with me. The king of Israel, Ahab, the bad guy, said to Jehoshaphat, the good guy, wear my kingly robe. Let's switch clothes. I'm going into battle disguised. So the king of Israel entered the battle in disguise. Now, why in the world would Jeroboam do such a thing? I don't know. But Ahab is saying, I know what, I, I, I'm just going to change clothes with, with, with Jehoshaphat. I'm going to wear Jehoshaphat's clothes. And if somebody gets killed, it won't be me, it'll be him, because he'll be wearing my robe. Verse 30, neither one of these guys knew this. The king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, there were 32 of them, don't bother with anyone, small or great. He's saying, I don't want to go to war right now. Just go after the king of Israel and him only. He's saying, I only want one dude, I want Ahab. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they said, there he is, the king of Israel, and they took off after him. I hope God kept this on tape, because I want to watch this. It says, Jehoshaphat yelled out. I don't know what he yelled out. I'm guessing he said, I'm not Ahab. (laughs) And the chariot commanders realized they had the wrong man. It wasn't the king of Israel. After all, God intervened, and they let him go. So is Ahab going to like say, I've just dodged a bullet? Hardly. Read. Verse 33. Just then, someone on the Aramean side, without aiming, shot an arrow into the crowd and hit the king of Israel in the chink or the gap of his armor. The king told his charioteer, turn back, get me out of here, I'm wounded. And all day the fighting continued hot and heavy. Propped up in his chariot, the king watched from the sidelines. He died that evening. Guys, I just want to say to you, (laughs) what matters is God. Our future is in his hands. He sees who we really are. And our destiny is in his hands, and he designed us to be open. He designed us to be honest. He designed us to be real. What he wants is for you to come, come in from the cold. I say this every week, and I wish I knew how to preach because maybe I could find a more eloquent way to say it. But can I just say this? God knows how to deal with your faults. He knows how to deal with your sins. He knows how to deal with your problems. He can deal with anything you've got in your life. you just got to bring it to him. What he can't deal with is if you have a secret life and you won't let him work in your life. In fact, the fifth point that I would give to you today is God can only start doing miracles in your life when you quit paying blackmail. Hey, I'm a flawed person. I need God to work in my life just like you need him to work in your life. But 
As long as we're paying blackmail, God knows he's not God in our life. We're scared of this other power. My all-time favorite story in the Bible, and I know I teach from it all the time. I'm always afraid you're going to get bored with it because I love it so much. But my favorite story is from John chapter 4. We call it the Samaritan woman. Jesus was going through a place where most Jews wouldn't even go. And you know what? Interestingly enough, it was because this was the northern kingdom, and they had gotten into idolatry. Now we're hundreds of years later during the time of Jesus, same people that Ahab ruled. But in this place, there was a woman who had been married five times, sleeping with a man who was somebody else's husband. You wouldn't think there would be much future for somebody like that, but Jesus made the whole trip just for her. I love this story so much that we got our name as a church from this story. Jesus said to her, I can give you a life. And here was a woman who came to get water in the middle of the day so that nobody else would see her. She didn't, you, talk about people, you talk about somebody who held people at arm's length. She wouldn't let anybody get close to her. She didn't want to be around anybody else. She's dead. She's just marking time until she dies. What she doesn't know is that the Son of God loves her so much that he made a whole trip just to come see her. And he kept telling her, you know, she'd come to get water, so he just stayed with the metaphor. He said, you know, if you would let me, I would give you a life. I would give you, as I say, we got our church name from this. Jesus said, I, I could put a, a new spring in you that would spring up into everlasting life. And after a few moments, she said, well, okay, I want it. Give it to me. If it had been me, I'd have just said what I say every weekend. Well, I want you to pray this prayer. But Jesus wasn't me. He was God, and he knew she had a secret life. If you've ever read this story in the Bible, you may think that Jesus was trying to produce guilt in her, but I assure you that was the last thing Jesus, Jesus knew everything she was doing anyway. When she said, yeah, give it to me, Jesus said, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have one. Well, you and I know that's technically true. I don't think she thought there was any reason for her to hang out her dirty laundry in front of this stranger. So she just said, I don't have a husband. That could mean a lot of things. It could mean I'm widowed, I'm divorced, I never did get married. She just said to Jesus, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five, and the one you have now belongs to somebody else. A few minutes later, she received Jesus and went back and brought the whole town to him. You remember what she said to the town? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What's Jesus saying to her? I can't do miracles till you stop paying blackmail. Right now, you're paying blackmail to the fact that you've got secrets that you don't, you don't want to let out. Jesus is saying, let those secrets out to me. I can do something with them. I can still give you a life. And so for all of us today who have a secret life, could I get you just to bring that to God? And I don't know exactly what's going on. It'll differ depending upon your circumstance or situation, but I can tell you this. There are Christian health professionals. There are Christian counselors, Christian psychologists. There, there are people that you can go and talk to in a safe place and say, I, I need to share with you something that's holding me in bondage, and I want to let it go, and I want to deal with it. And then you can be free to be the person God wants you to be. Come in from the cold.
from the isolation of that remote outpost, come back to the place of shelter and safety and be the person God destines you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've spent together. I need now a very special favor from you. I need the Holy Spirit to tailor make this message for every single person who's hearing it because our circumstances and situations are just so different. Give us wisdom from your presence as to the next step to take. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me for one more moment. You know, Jesus told the woman, you know, I can give you a life. And you know he's in the same business today, no matter who you are or what you've done. You say, Mark, you don't know the sins of my life. I know what the Bible says. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all, A-L-L, all sin. All right? I'm guessing you've got something in your life you're very ashamed of. Just thinking about it makes you turn red. But all means all sin. And the Bible tells us that religion can't do this. Changing your life on your own can't do this. You've got to have God do a miracle in your life. And Scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I would like to pray a prayer right now. These aren't magic words. These are words that just call out to God. But if you're ready to have a relationship with God and you believe that Jesus died for you and you believe he arose from the grave, you can have it right now in an instant. Let's pray. You don't have to pray it out loud, but just your inner person is what matters. Dear God, I know I've done wrong but I'm coming in from the cold. I believe you love me, and I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe his blood cleanses me from all sin. I believe he arose from the grave, and today I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my king. Thank you, God, for forgiving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen.